everybody. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of But It Is Rocket Science. Another episode. We've been podcasting for a whole year. I know. It's amazing. I can't believe it. How have you been, Anna? How's the week been? Good. So I, like, had one of those days where, don't get me wrong, like, I spend most of my life wondering when I'm going to get to eat next. Except I had one of those days where around four, I was just like, I didn't do anything for dinner. I have nothing prepared for dinner. I didn't pull anything out of the freezer to thaw. <laughs> so I had an emergency bag of chicken fingers in my freezer that I pulled out to make <laughs> like a real adult. And I told my, I called my parents before we started and they were just asking, they're like, oh, what'd you have for dinner? I was like, oh, I had my emergency chicken fingers. And my dad went, well, chicken don't have fingers. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what a <laughs> appropriate dad joke to make. Right? I was like, oh man, that. peak dad joke level achieved there. That's hilarious. I thought it was funny. My mother was less than amused. <laughs> <laughs> How have you been? I've been good. I am actually with my parents right now. And luckily today, at the end of the day, my mom was already making dinner so we'll rotate so sometimes i have nights for dinner yeah right now i'm just drinking some chai which is really nice at the end of the day every day we usually have like chai time that's awesome that sounds lovely very relaxing it is very nice let's see what else has been happening oh i read a i just finished a really good book by elaine welteroth and it's called more than enough Ooh. It's really great. She was a editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. She talks about race, identity, and shattering ceilings, and just all the good stuff. It was a great book. I would recommend it. Wow. I'm, like, yeah. embarrassed because I've been watching Love Island. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's, <laughs> like, not at all intellectual. I can't judge you because I just watched the episode of The Bachelor last night. So. Oh, my God. <laughs> no judgment zone. Oh, man. Wait, so Dude. what's the premise of Love Island? Okay. Um, I just, <laughs> How do I even <laughs> describe it? It's on Hulu. There's an Australian and a UK version. I think there's also a US version, but I don't think it's gotten as much traction. There's a couple men and a couple women who live on this island, and they're all obviously single, and they have to couple up. And then whoever wins by the public, the favorite couple at the end, I think wins the whole show. Oh my gosh. I can't remember what they get. I feel like this is such a classic reality TV situation. Oh, yeah. And they have like different games in the middle of it that are literally pointless. They have absolutely no purpose. <laughs> it's not quality television. I'm not proud that I watch it. But yet, here we are. It's really nice if you have to like, if you're doing it while you're doing something else, because you can pay almost no attention and still have a full idea of what's going on. Oh, completely. Like, it's such a great laundry or... Exactly. Dusting your side tables. I don't know. Just like a cleaning <laughs> TV show to have in the background. I literally had it on while I was cleaning. Like, I walked out of the room and a couple minutes later walked back in. I was like, all right, I know what's happening. Like, it wasn't <laughs> even like... <laughs> oh, so true. So and true. I think the seasons have like 30 episodes. Like, they're That's long. insane. Yeah, it's long. Is it like once one a week? 
I actually don't know. I've never watched it live. Oh my gosh. I know. I wouldn't say it's quality television, but I do recommend it. Yeah. So that's where I'm at as a real mature adult. (laughs) Do you want to actually get into (laughs) the episode for the day? Yeah, let's do it. Let's give the people the content that they actually tuned in for. (laughs) Yeah, with at least a little bit of intellectual capacity. (laughs) I tried. All right, so today's episode is all about solid propellants. Actually, it was Hannah's idea to have like a little series that we're going to sprinkle episodes in every once in a while about a different propellant family. Exactly. So I was racking my brain. I was like, oh, how can I like come up with a series of episodes part of a similar theme? And propellant seemed like such a great one. You know, you have the solid, the liquid, hybrid. That's where we are. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be good. All right. You ready for a technical description? Oh, we should introduce ourselves first. Yeah, let's do that. I'm so bad at remembering that. All right. I'm Anna. And I'm Hannah. And this is But, but It Is Rocket, Rocket Science. Science. All right, let's talk about solid propellants. That's literally what I wrote as the first line of my notes. Perfect. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is rocket fuel that is solid instead of a liquid. If you've ever made a model rocket out of like a paper towel tube, if you haven't, this is really fun, um, you've probably used a solid rocket motor. Solid rocket motors or SRMs or solid rocket engines are rocket engines that utilize a solid propellant. Just a little bit of background about how you essentially ignite something. So in order to burn something, you need a fuel, which is the thing you burn, but you also need oxygen, which is why if you put like a lid on a candle, the candle will go out, it runs out of oxygen. In order to do that with rocket engines, you need a fuel, but you also need an oxidizer. Usually these are two different things. However, there are a few monopropellants out there, which serve as both the fuel and the oxidizer. Hydrazine would be an example of this. The cost of this, though, is that they tend to be unstable. But this is not an episode about monopropellants. Maybe we could do an episode about monopropellants. We could. That would be a fun one. However, for SRMs, instead of being a liquid, they're solids, which are mixed together and formed into normally a cylindrical shape. Then a channel is then drilled into this cylinder to serve as a combustion chamber. So essentially, you need a place where the hot gases produced from burning the SRM can mix and exit out of a nozzle. There isn't always a nozzle, but in some of the really big ones, there is. And what this does is it powers your rocket. There also tends to be a case, which I was actually like writing. I was like, how do I describe this? I was like, it's just a case. (laughs) I feel like the words got that for you. It just surrounds the whole thing to contain it while it burns and protect it. There also needs to be an igniter. So if you've ever seen a stick of dynamite in a cartoon, which looks like it has a long string hanging out of it, That is the igniter. That is what we're talking about here. SRMs are no longer commonly used to fuel rockets. Liquid propellants are much more popular. I'm sure Hannah's going to go into this a little bit too. Mm -hmm. SRMs are significantly simpler than liquid propellant rockets. They are easier to ignite, and there's also no risk of the fuel and oxidizer not mixing. Another added benefit is that they're able to be stored for long periods of time without degrading. You definitely cannot just store a fueled liquid rocket engine. Yeah, that would not be safe. Not be safe. And also a lot of them use cryopropellants, which means they are not liquid at room temperature. However, SRMs tend to have lower performance when compared to liquid engines, and they do not offer the same level of control. The original SRMs were composed in such a way that once they were lit, you could not stop them. 
it just, again, makes me think of a stick of dynamite. Like, once you light a stick of dynamite, you see this all the time in cartoons, you can't just blow it out. Right. I've never personally lit a stick of dynamite, but I have watched a couple Acme cartoons in my day. (laughs) (laughs) However, there are actually now some more advanced ones that can not only be throttled, but they can also be extinguished and then reignited. I actually didn't know these existed until doing this, so that's really cool. That is awesome. There's also something called pulsed rocket motors, which burn in segments and can be ignited on command. I picture like a candle with a bunch of different colored layers. I'm sure it's much more involved than that, but that's kind of where my head's at. What do you mean by the different colored layers? I don't know. I'm just thinking like if it's just got segments, each layer would be a different segment of the candle. Gotcha. I'm sure it's significantly more complicated than that, and they're probably not different colors, (laughs) but it's just as a visual of the segments. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in more about them, I highly recommend you look them up. They sound really cool. But in summary here, there are a lot of different kinds of solid rocket motors. I'm not going to go into what rockets have used them, since Henna is going to give us a fabulous history, but I am going to go into a few of the different types. Now, the first one I'm going to discuss, and a slight spoiler, pretty much the first one to even exist, is black powder or gunpowder. A black powder SRM uses, as you probably could have guessed, black powder as fuel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I had no idea. (laughs) What a surprise. (laughs) So they use black powder as fuel and potassium nitrate as the oxidizer. This powder mixture is then pressed into a solid tube shape, forming the SRM. If you've ever made a model rocket with an Estes or a Quest engine, it was probably a black powder SRM. Yeah, I did that back when I was in an undergrad. I did too. It's really fun. You can actually get them really cheap. It was so fun. Seriously, if you've never made a model rocket, you can buy kits online that are pretty cheap. And they're pretty basic. It's like a paper towel tube, nose cone, little parachute, and some fins, and then the motor. That's right. You can get fancy and add like a small mini drogue parachute. I would recommend, if you're interested at all, checking out NAR. The National Association of Rocketry, there may be a club nearby or a group of people that gets together and shoots off model rockets that you can check out. I think that'd be really fun, especially or if you have kids and you're looking for projects to do with them because they're home all day. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, that's a good one, too. You can also paint them. Yeah. Just as another fun part of the project. I named mine Panda. I think pandas were my favorite animal at the time, and I painted a little panda on mine. You were in college, right? I was in college, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) Slow, slow growth. I would not judge you. (laughs) I would not judge you. I made one in college. And I just remember I had like a box of seltzer water and it said sodium free. And so we called our rocket sodium free because we made it out of the seltzer water. Oh my gosh. How appropriate, Anna. I'm not surprised. Anna (laughs) loves her seltzer water. Of course, you'd have a box of seltzer water that inspires her rocket. I love (laughs) seltzer water and LaCroix and all that stuff before it became popular. All of a sudden, one day, people were like, people when I was in college were like, oh my God, why do you drink that? And all of a sudden, I'm like, now everybody's like, oh my God, do you love LaCroix? I was like, are you guys kidding me? Like. This has always existed. Uh, <laughs> Anna, you made it cool. Let's be real. It was just <laughs> me <laughs> and all of Europe. <laughs> My favorite are when people are like, it's La Croix. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> it's
It's so true, though. <laughs> I'm like pretty confident. It is not La Croix. It's oh, from Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no shade. It's delicious. Uh, that's amazing. All right. But yeah. Uh, make model rockets. They're really fun. But <laughs> uh, the reason it was probably a black powder SRM is that they're really cheap, which makes it perfect for use in hobby or model rockets. You don't usually see it used on a larger scale due to a couple of reasons. One of the major ones is that it has a low specific impulse. This is a measure of how efficiently a rocket uses propellant. I literally wrote, I was like, I have been using specific impulse for years, and yet I have to Google it almost every single time. (laughs) (laughs) The term is just not intuitive. You know, when you think of the term specific impulse, it's just like... It's not an intuitive term. You really need to, like, have used it over and over again for it to stick. It's not an intuitive term in the least. And I'm not going to go into great detail here. But roughly, specific impulse is a measure of how effective an engine is at converting propellant into momentum. Or more specifically, I actually directly stole this from a website called browing.us. And this is direct quotes. Specific impulse indicates how many pounds or kilograms of thrust are obtained by the consumption of one pound or kilogram of propellant in one second. Weirdly enough, the units are usually expressed just in seconds. (laughs) I think it's just to make it easier. Yeah. Specific impulse does depend on the propellant. However, you cannot assign a single value to any one propellant since specific impulse or ISP also depends on the engine design. When I talk about ISP as referring to propellants, they're all going to be approximate values. In summary... If ISP is low, you need more propellant. That's right. And if you are interested in ISP, please look it up yourself. It's a really cool concept. That's right. It's a really cool concept, and it gets really interesting also with electric propulsion, and we did a whole episode about this. Because in electric propulsion, we're using ions, which are so low mass, but they have a very high ISP in the range of thousands to tens of thousands of seconds. Yeah, so that's what's actually really cool about electric propulsion is that it has such a high ISP. And I think we also talk about ISP in the electric propulsion episode. I think Henna actually does it. So we have both tried to explain it now. So if I didn't do it well effectively (laughs) enough, go listen to Henna. Maybe she'll have done it for you. Uh, Anna, you did a great job. Oh, thank you. I literally, this took me so long. And my neighbors, I don't know what my upstairs neighbors were doing, but it sounded like they were having a rager, which I really hope they weren't doing because that would not have dealt with COVID rules. I was like sitting in my apartment alone on Saturday night trying to explain ISP. I was getting so mad. I was like, don't you know I have to think really hard? <laughs> like, like, please quiet down. Uh, it's my weekend too. <laughs> I'm like, when did I become... When did I become this? <laughs> like, the gr- Anna, you're the grumpy grandma in her 20s. <laughs> oh, my God. Normally, I'd be like, let's go see if I can join the party. And now I'm like, I'm oh. trying to write down ISP. <laughs> <laughs> Turn down your music. I've never met my upstairs neighbors. I'm sure they're perfectly nice people. <laughs> all right. Now that you all know that I have just turned into a grumpy, grumpy grandma. So we made it through that. <laughs> I literally wrote that down. <laughs> All right, we made it through that. Uh, Anna literally has that in her notes. I can just imagine you sitting there frustrated with the music from upstairs and frustrated by the definition. <laughs> Having an internal monologue. I was like, it's 1030 on Saturday night. I can't go anywhere because of the pandemic. Uh, yep, you got it. I'm sure the image in your head, you nailed it. So <laughs> back to Black Powder SRMs. Black powder has a low ISP, about 80 seconds. 
which makes it not practical for use with large-sized rockets. I just, for reference, I put in here, so an oxygen kerosene engine, or a kerosene commonly referred to as RP-1, these are very popular. The Saturn V actually utilized these on the first stage. An engine that uses oxygen RP-1 would have an ISP of 300 seconds. So 80 seconds isn't really um, great. No. I was going to say something to hang your hat on, but I that's I don't know. Is that even a phrase we use anymore as a society? <laughs> Uh, All right. Anna's transformation into a grandma. What is happening to me? I used to be so fun. <laughs> you are fun. You are fun. Thanks, Anna. However, that isn't the only thing working against it. Black powder SRMs are sensitive to fracture, which can cause a catastrophic failure. I put that in quotes. At least that's what Wikipedia said. They called it a catastrophic failure. Perfect. Yes. And then what happens is that when an SRM fractures, the burnable surface area increases because now you don't just have the surface area of the SRM, you have the surface area of that fracture. In turn, this can cause an increase in the amount of exhaust gas being produced because there's more to burn, so you're getting more gas. And if there's too much gas being produced too quickly, it can cause a buildup of pressure and you can burst the case, effectively destroying it. Wow. I know, I didn't know that. That's incredible because in my brain, when I think of a fracture and I think about the surface area associated with it, it doesn't seem like very much, you know? No, but if you have a really big SRM, yeah, which you would very possibly need to power a rocket, right? and that thing cracks, you could just blow the whole SRM. Right. Because that surface area is so big when it cracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I thought that was cool fascinating yeah i wrote basically the tldr or then i was like or tldl in your case because too long didn't listen (laughs) (laughs) i even wrote i think i'm funny leave me be (laughs) like (laughs) what was happening (laughs) well i was going through something (laughs) okay so basically in summary black powder is great for model rockets it's not a first choice for anything else so the next one I'm going to talk about also has no practical uses outside of amateur rockets, but it just sounded fun, so I didn't want to pass up on it. And that is candy propellants. Yummy. I know. They're called candy propellants because the fuel is a sugar, and it's commonly dextrose, sorbitol, or sucrose. The oxidizer is, again, potassium nitrate. They are very carefully melted together and then poured into a mold to form the SRM. And what I actually thought was cool was they actually have a higher ISP than black powder at about 130 seconds. Oh, wow. I know. And I also wonder if they don't produce the same amount of smoke because it's sugar-based. You know, I didn't even think about that, but I bet you're right. Yeah. We're at 130 seconds with candy propellants for ISP. That's still fairly low, but it is better than black powder. And as Hannah pointed out, possibly they're less smoky. As I already mentioned, they don't really have a lot of use outside of amateur rockets. So now we're going to move on to the more powerful stuff, composite propellants. Woo! Composite propellants consist of a powdered metal fuel and a powder oxidizer, also with a rubbery binder. Hannah's actually going to go more into binders, which I think will be really neat. What this binder does is it just holds everything together. You need something to essentially hold them together. The most popular options are ammonium nitrate-based, or ANCP, or ammonium perchlorate-based, or APCP. APCP actually has a higher ISP at 296 seconds compared to the 210 seconds ANCPs produce. Now, aluminum is used for a few reasons. 
It has a high volumetric energy density. I was trying to figure out how to explain this. Essentially, this means is that it's dense. So that it takes up less space than a less dense material. If you have a really big SRM, you want a material that's fairly dense. Because if you have a really low density material, this thing could be huge. Right. So it can produce a lot more energy for its volume because of its higher density. Exactly. You nailed it. While this is important, what's also great about aluminum is that it's difficult to ignite accidentally, which was not something I realized was a concern, but it makes sense to me that it would be. (laughs) APCP SRMs have relatively high performance. They fall in the moderate price range and are not particularly difficult to manufacture. As a result, they are most prominently used SRM for rockets. Most famously, in my opinion anyway, APCP SRMs were used on the space shuttle. These are the most powerful SRMs ever flown, with each providing a maximum of 3,300,000 pounds of force, or 14.7 meganewtons, and that would be per solid rocket booster. Which brings me into my next point. The space shuttle had two solid rocket boosters, or SRBs. These are each made up of four SRM segments. So the solid rocket booster is like the entire assembly. It's the entire thing. The SRM is just that rocket motor. They each had four SRM segments, which were encased in a two centimeter thick steel alloy case. And at first I was like, two centimeters isn't all that much. That's a lot. If you're thinking about how big this thing is to have two centimeter steel around that whole thing, that's a lot of steel. Wow. In total, each booster weighed about 1,300,000 pounds, or 589,670 kilograms. Oh my gosh. That is heavy. I know. What is also cool is that the cases were reusable, which is really neat. After the SRMs had burned through, they would be released from the shuttle, and they'd fall into the ocean. They'd actually have a little parachute that would deploy, and then they would go retrieve them from the ocean and refurbish them to reuse them. Yes, we love that. So I thought that was fun. We're all about reuse. I know, because I just, I very distinctly remember, like, if you ever see a shuttle launch, you see those SRBs, and you see them fall off the sides. Oh, yeah. And they're so cool. It's so majestic to watch. They're really amazing. Yeah. So I wanted to give the shuttle and what I think are the most famous solid rocket motors their own shout out. Heck yeah. Anna, that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. I had fun. Fantastic. All right. I'm excited for your history. Yes. But let's take a break first. We'll be back. We'll be back. Right. So I made banana bread. Yum. Because I found a bunch of really old bananas in my freezer. And I really thought about eating a piece during a break, but I told myself I could not have any until we finished. Uh, Such a great reward to look towards. I know. So I think I deserve. Have you seen that? (laughs) There's this TikTok that was like, I think I deserve a prize because I haven't snacked in 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And I related to that. I relate oh to that. I relate to that too. But especially days where I'm not busy, oh. it's like my number one recreational activity. If I am busy, it'll be like 2 p.m. and I'll be like, why am I starving? And it's because I haven't eaten anything that day. If I have nothing to do, I'm just like, let's go get another snack. Oh my gosh, Saturday mornings. Oh, it's good. literally just snack after snack after snack after I, uh, as I sit in front of a puzzle or the TV or. <laughs> Oh, I get it. So deeply. A window into my exciting life. <laughs> I literally spoke about how I was getting annoyed at my upstairs neighbors at a Saturday night. So 
All right. I am ready to hear this history. Yes, let's get into this. The history of the solid propellant rocket goes all the way back to 220 BCE, when black powder's ability to burn was accidentally discovered in China. How do you think that went? Somebody was just like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what I have in my notes is like, what was the thought process? Black powder was created by alchemists back in China as an elixir that could promote the longevity of life. Oh no, people drank it? So I don't know if people drank it, and I couldn't find any information on if people, you know... Consumed it? Consumed it and then got sick. Ooh. But these alchemists back then realized... Exactly, the thought process that Anna just mentioned... (laughs) I have this in my quote. I'm like, what were they thinking? And in quotes, I wrote from my brain, wait, this mixture burns and what? It makes a huge bang when it's in a small bamboo tube and subjected to heat. And that's actually what happened. They accidentally figured out that it burned when it was in a small bamboo tube. Because back then, bamboo was like essentially like cardboard, you know, it was everywhere and they used it for containing. Oh, that kind of makes sense because you didn't have like Tupperware. Exactly. Or like metal and casings. At this point, what they did with this material after they figured out that it could burn is they ended up using it in fireworks, initially used to scare off evil spirits. That is literally one of the only things I remember from my AP history class and world history class in high school was that. Really? (laughs) They invented fireworks with black powder first. Yes. Yes. I remember from world history that they used in fireworks, but I did not know that they used it for scaring off evil spirits. I didn't know that either. But yeah, that was definitely not in the textbook. But that's fascinating. So fascinating. It makes sense because it makes such a loud bang. I just love learning about different cultures and especially with these initial inventions. Like what was the thought process behind it and what were the initial uses? So cool. Along with fireworks, they were using the first rockets, which were simply arrows with packets of gunpowder at the ends of them. These primitive forms of rockets were used as weapons. A lot of the research I found talks about how fire arrows were used to defend the Chinese city of Kaifeng against Mongol attack back in 1232. Interesting. Back then, the Mongols were attacking all over. These raids were led by Genghis Khan and Agadais Khan. And because of these raids, news about the fire arrows spread to India, Korea, Arab countries, and Europe. That's so interesting about that's how that spread, because they were used in war. Exactly. I should have appreciated this more when I first learned it in school. Same. I didn't piece it together. You know, as I'm reading it as an adult, as I've been working in the aerospace industry, it's like all piecing together. Yeah. When I was younger, I didn't realize that, oh, these would then eventually evolve into our present-day rockets. So interesting. So cool. Mm -hmm. Another interesting fact that I found was during the year 1500, a man in China named Wang Hu made an attempt to be the world's first astronaut. His vehicle to the moon was a large wicker chair with 47 small rockets attached to the end of it. Oh, man, this can't end well. Oh, no. (laughs) He hired a number of assistants who ran to light all the rockets at the same time. Unfortunately, Wan Hu did not make it. Oh, that's sad, but not surprising. 
Yeah, it's very sad, but the creativity was there, and that is impressive. Yes, the innovation. The innovation and the courage. <laughs> A lot of courage. A lot of courage. Interestingly, I did not know this, there is a crater on the moon named in his honor. And I thought this was awesome. That's nice. Yeah, I did not know about this. The world's first attempted astronaut. Fascinating. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, I liked it too. So far in history, rockets' combustion chambers were just packets of paper or bamboo canes, like I mentioned before. But let's forward to about the 1700s, when Indian Sultan Tipu first introduced using chambers made of metal at the ends of these fire arrows. These metallic chambers were attached to the ends of three meter long bamboo with some sharp blade at the other end. And these rockets were used to defeat the British in Seringapatam, which led to the British Colonel Congreve to take the Indian fire arrows back to the UK to reverse engineer them. This was a huge part in history because of this reverse engineering efforts, it led to a lot more iterations in the fuel types. During the 1800s and early 1900s, several iterations were made over the Chinese black powder. For example, it would initially create a lot of smoke. After some research in Europe, reverse engineering these rockets, they were able to engineer a smokeless version of the powder. Oh, that's cool. Yes, it was uh, very cool. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I was just like, it's very cool. Yeah, I just sounded I like, like a robot. It's <laughs> like, are you all right? <laughs> yeah, it was very cool. So what, this was the 1700s? This was during the 1800s. That's crazy that they were able to do that. Mm-hmm. I have the sentence about double-based propellants. It's just not a good transition here. You know, it's kind of jumpy. Oh, but... I'm... <laughs> I get that. You can do the Anna technique. You can just go for it. That is my technique with every episode sometimes. It's got to own it. Yep. All right. Okay. So also around this time, double-based propellants were beginning to be used. And double-based propellants are made of two solid monopropellant fuels. One is high energy and the other is more of a stabilizer. And the reason I mention this is to lead into my next point, which is that in 1942, Jack Parsons at Caltech invented composite propellants in an effort to replace the double-based propellants. And Jack Parsons himself is a fascinating historical character. He was a self-taught rocket engineer Whoa. and an occultist. Oh, okay. That took an interesting turn. Oh, you sent me an article about this guy. Yes, I did. Oh my god, I will not spoil it, but Tana sent me this article that I woke up to on maybe Sunday morning? Saturday morning. <laughs> I was like reading it, I was like, what is happening? I have not had coffee yet. Yeah. He has a very fascinating life. He was an occultist, which for those of you who don't know what that word means, it means he held beliefs in the supernatural. He had a very eccentric lifestyle. It was just a fascinating read, you know? Yeah. Would recommend looking him up. Maybe Anna and I will give him a highlight in one of our other episodes, but it would be 
way too long of a tangent to get into right now. I think that would be a cool episode, one where we're just like, these are people we've mentioned in other episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Like some key historical characters and their fascinating lives that we don't really get to look into. No, one day. Yes. <laughs> I feel like you and I would really enjoy something like that because we enjoy dramatic TV. <laughs> oh my God. I love when I'm like, oh my God, and then this happened? <laughs> <laughs> the drums. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, that would be fun. We should do that. Let's get back into the composite propellants. Anna has provided us with a great description of composite propellants, but to add on, Jack Parsons specifically used asphalt and potassium perchlorate, and he did this at the Guggenheim Aeronautical Laboratory at Caltech as a part of a project to use solid propellants for the U.S. Army's jet-assisted takeoff efforts. Jet-assisted takeoff basically means adding small rockets to heavy aircraft to provide additional thrust during takeoff. Oh, fascinating. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, when I read it, it made sense. But at first, I wasn't really sure what it meant. Yeah, I didn't either. But once you said the description, I was like, that feels obvious now. Yeah, the definition is in the name. This project by the U.S. Army actually led to the formation of NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, JPL, Oh my god, that's why it's called that. Yeah, right? It's all coming together. Okay. (laughs) And this was known as the start of modern-day solid rocket technology. Oh, cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And as a part of this project, there was research and resources put towards understanding liquid propellants, but we'll save that for another episode. Sounds good. A stronger push for iterating over composite propellants happened in 1954 when the U.S. Navy wanted a composite propellant rocket motor for their ballistic missiles. The first one in this effort was called Polaris A1. For the oxidizer, ammonium perchlorate replaced potassium perchlorate, which I mentioned earlier, and this was specifically to reduce smoke. Aluminum was used as the fuel, and Anna gave us a fantastic description of that. And then an inert binder was used in the mix. This combination of ammonium perchlorate, aluminum, and an inert binder is still used today for solid propellants. Cool. Polaris A1 and Polaris A2 both used ammonium perchlorate as the oxidizer. Ammonium perchlorate raised the ISP by almost 70 seconds as compared to potassium perchlorate. Gotcha. Cool. I thought that was a fun fact. That is a fun fact. The next range of improvements in the history of solid propellants surrounded bonding agents of solid propellants. Basically, how could we minimize aging due to temperature and humidity when the propellant is stored? And we will look at the binder for that. The inert binder kept being iterated over, and one of the most successful ones is HTPB, hydroxyl terminated polybutadiene, which directly off of Wikipedia, in quotes, I got this, <laughs> has a color similar to wax paper and a viscosity similar to corn syrup, specifically for propellant binders. Fascinating. You did a great job pronouncing that, by the way. I was very impressed. Thanks. It was, a f- I really had to prep my brain for it when I went into it. <laughs> I was very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. HTPB was first successfully tested in 1961, but binders are still being studied heavily today. 
I did want to take us around the world and highlight two cool rockets that have successfully used HTPB. Oh, I love when you do this. Thanks, Anna. So just as an aside, one is by JAXA, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, and this rocket is the M5, which was used to launch scientific satellites. It is currently retired, but it operated from about 2000 to 2006, and it had four stages of solid rockets. The first stage, which was the most powerful, provided over 3,000 kilonewtons of thrust. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's really neat. Another rocket I wanted to highlight was by the ISRO, the Indian Space Research Organization. It is the Polar Satellite Launch Vehicle, PSLV, which became the second service after Russia to be able to launch remote sensing satellites into sun-synchronous orbits. I didn't know that. I had no idea. Yeah. Multiple iterations. I've been using the word iterations a lot. (laughs) I guess it's my word of the day. (laughs) Multiple iterations of the PSLV have occurred. The latest flight actually took place by the PSLV-XL in December 2020. Oh, so it's basically still being used. Yeah, it's still being used. That's cool. At this launch in December 2020, it launched the 42nd communication satellite for India. The rocket itself is composed of four stages, two of them using solid propellants with HTPB. And the first stage, which I like to highlight because it is the most powerful, is capable of 4,800 kilonewtons of thrust. Wow. Just two interesting rockets that use this common binder. That is cool. Mm-hmm. I just like appreciating, you know, just rocket technology and similarities around the world. Sometimes, you know, being in the industry in the U.S., you don't really get a chance to take a step back and like see what other groups yeah. all over the world are working on. And they're doing cool stuff. Exactly. We're all on the same mission of exploring and we are. furthering our knowledge of space. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. All right. Back to the history. Energetic binders have also been studied and are used, but HTPB is very common. Energetic binders help achieve a slightly higher specific impulse of about 260 seconds as opposed to the 250, but this does come at a cost of smoke. Gotcha. Polaris was the first rocket ever to use solid propellant, but the first rocket for human space Space flight? <laughs> and, and it's got human spaceflight in all capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is important. <laughs> it is important. <laughs> I must emphasize. <laughs> Make sure you know it was humans. <laughs> Not robots. <laughs> nope. Uh, the solid propellant used for the first rocket for human spaceflight was for the solid rocket boosters, as Anna mentioned earlier, on the space shuttle. Nice. And just as Anna said earlier, you know, it was the most powerful solid propellant rocket, and these were the primary source of thrust lifting the shuttle in stage one. The three key ingredients the propellant was composed of was one, our friend ammonium perchlorate, like I've mentioned many times before. Our new bestie. Our new bestie. (laughs) Two, aluminum powder, as Anna has described to us. And three, P-band, that's polybutadiene acrylonitrile, which is the binder. Fun fact about P-band compared to HTPB is that it's widely used for amateur rocket engineers due to its lower toxicity. 
Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, because we've put our efforts elsewhere and seen research develop elsewhere, in the last 50 years, we haven't seen any huge advancements in solid rocket propulsion compared to the first 20 years since Parsons discovered composite propellants. And this is part due to liquid and hybrid propellants taking the stage, which we'll get into in our future episodes. But these were the main highlights that I wanted to cover in the history. You know, it was it was just such a fascinating kickoff for solid propellants and, you know, the time surrounding Parsons with the composite propellants. And that's where I really wanted to highlight for this episode. I thought it was great. Thanks, Anna. I really enjoyed that. It's a It was a fun one to research. <laughs> I like this one. This is a great idea. At first, I was like, all right, how, how intense is this going to be? And I was like, oh, there's a lot happening here. <laughs> yeah. It was very heavy on the chemistry side. Yeah. It took a while to really, like, digest the information, reacclimate myself into the chemistry environment. <laughs> yeah, that definitely took me a minute. Yeah. Yeah. But I made it. We made it. We did it. We made it. (laughs) All right. Should we do our sources? Yeah. But before that, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yes. Great point. All right, everybody. You can find us on Facebook at But It Is Rocket Science. You can find us on Instagram at But It Is Rocket Science. And you can find us on Twitter at But It Is RS. We also have a webpage if you want to learn more about Henna and I, if you want to submit us ideas for future episodes, shoot us a message. Tell us what propellant you want us to cover next. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. I also have a TikTok called Anna is Anxious. If, I don't know, you jumped on the TikTok train like I did. And then we love hearing from you. So if you really would like to make our day, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes, we'd love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do you want to do your sources first? Yes, I'd love to. My first article was from ResearchGate, and it was Highlights of Solid Rocket Propulsion History. My second source is Wikipedia, so I had a few Wikipedia articles. One was on jet-assisted takeoff. Another one was on solid rocket propellants. Another one was on the M5 and the PSLV, the Polar Satellite Launch Vehicle. I also used a Wired.com article on Jack Parsons. Another Wikipedia on HTPB. I had another journal article from sciencedirect.com called Recent Advances in Solid Propellant Binder Chemistry, and another journal article called Solid Propellants AP-HTPB Composite Propellants from sciencedirect.com as well. And the last source I have is from weather.com. It's titled The ISRO Successfully Launches India's 42nd Communication Satellite. Those are my sources. That was great. How about you, Anna? All right, I started off, as per usual, with the Wikipedia page about solid propellant rockets. Nice. And then I went to a NASA page that just describes solid rocket motors, another NASA page that describes, actually, the history of propellants, which was a super interesting article. I highly recommend it. And then another NASA page. Heck yeah. It's just about rocket propulsion again. And then, oh man, I have so many articles about ISB. (laughs) I have a, another article from NACA slash NACA-rocketry.net about more about ISP. I have an article I, again, discussed about ISP from BrayUnique.us. It talks about ISP. Another NASA article about the solid rocket boosters used for the space shuttle. 
I have a paper from Engineering Fracture Mechanics called Fracture of Solid Rocket Propellant Grains. And then I have a Wikipedia article, again, about the space shuttle rocket boosters. And that's all I got. Fantastic. All right. You ready to close it out? Let's do it. Until next time, space cadets. T-minus three, two, one, liftoff. Liftoff.